Father, as I come before you, I first ask that you shrink me so you can be seen. May the words that come out this morning glorify and highlight you completely. You've given us these words, these woes as a reminder, as a guide of what not to do. Because you want us to be completely in relationship and and depending on your grace alone. Lord, I pray for Scott and his life group as they're celebrating and rejoicing in you, Lord. And having fellowship and a time away out of community together with this family. So, Lord, I just pray for rest. (laughs) I thank you, Lord, because I know this is completely you and not me. Lord, I pray for hearts this morning, hearts to hear this command, hearts to be bold to sit here and say, oh, God, what have I done? I need you now more than ever. Be with us this morning, Lord. In your son's name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So you're talking about some technical difficulty. So Scott taught uh, a couple weeks ago prior to Virgil coming on Matthew 23. Uh, the, I believe it was 1 through 15 is what he covered. And uh, it didn't get put up on the web. So I have no idea what he was speaking on because I was not here. I was off at camp. And so I, through a lot of prayer and a lot of guidance uh, from some great men, this morning I get to speak on Matthew 23, verses 16 through 22. This morning I'm reading out of the ESV. I finally broke down and bought one. I love my NIV. But... uh, so as you guys turn to your, your Bibles, I was going to say you can look up on the screen, but that's not going to work this morning. So uh, Matthew 23, verses 16 through 22 is what we're going to be focusing on this morning. Matthew 23, verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it, and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by it, and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God, and by him who sits upon it. Father, we thank you so much for these words. And may we just walk through this this morning and get a clearer understanding of what you are asking of us. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Now, I'm going to be completely honest. When I first read this, I, I looked at Scott and I was like, what in the world are you having me preach on? I'll be completely honest. I had no idea what this meant. And so I started thinking about it and started reading about it and chewing on it as I was at camp and really preparing. And as I started really thinking about it, it, started, it, it flashed me back to when I was in Monterey. 
As I was preparing this sermon, I flashed back to a time in my life when I, was, I wanted to be validated so badly by people. When I graduated from CSUMB in 2007, I graduated with this, this hope and this dream of, like, I want to teach one day. I want to, I want to be an educator. Like, that was my hope and dream. And so during this time, I was, like, doing everything to try to get into this job. And as I was thinking about this passage, it also has me think about we are willing to lie for things that benefit us. Maybe they might be small white lies, or maybe we say things and promise things to people that we know that's not going to come true or, or happen. But it's also the same thing we do with God. It's the same thing we do with God for some strange reason. People just naturally imagine that God is only interested in their religious practice and not with the intentions of their heart. Even more baffling is that somehow we believe he does not notice our hypocrisy. We are quickly to recognize hypocrisy of others, but not ourselves. The pride of an unredeemed heart prevents any recognition of a personal failure, and it drives men and women to seek out and cling to religious beliefs that support their sin, even if they have to tailor those beliefs to their own liking. This was totally me trying to fit into something I had no clue about, but my ego was so huge, was so big, I would do anything, anything to get this job in the ed world. So as I graduated in spring of 2007 from CSUNB, there was a job opening at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. And I had already been teaching for two years, uh, third grade and seventh grade, and I was like, I'm going to shoo in for this job. Like, I'm going to get this, right? And I'm here working at the aquarium. I was, I was there already in security and guest services. I, I'm knowing people. I'm, I'm, I'm making great friends. And then this job opens for the education department. And the craziest thing is, okay, as an outdoor educator, you have to like a few things. You have to love to hike. You have to want to swim. I don't swim at all. And, and, and you have to be knowledgeable of, of these like, different terrains. And so one, one day when they called me in for this interview... And I was sitting there, and I remember looking at Stacia and Kim Swan, and, and they started asking me these questions like, Jeff, so why do you think you're a great fit? And I was like, oh, man, I love the outdoors, and I can teach these kids. And I mean, I was literally doing everything I could to, to, to make myself look good. Like, I was promising things. Oh, man, I'm outgoing. I'll go for it. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, man, I actually felt like a little tremble inside, like, Jeff, you are a complete liar. But I so, I mean, I worked so hard for my degree and for this, this job. I wanted it so bad. And so I started overpromising. What do you need? I'll do anything. So for whatever reason, they hired me. And that first summer, okay, the chinks in my armor started to show. They really did. So that summer, leading in, there's like, we're planning out our, our school year. And so they put me in charge of what was called the Student Oceanography Club, SOC. It's middle school students, 60 of them. And so here we are, December's rolling around, we've done all this planning. And so what would happen is we would meet two times a month, the Wednesday and a Saturday. The Wednesday was all teaching. We got to like teach about whatever subject we were going to work on that weekend. And then that Saturday, you go out and do it. And so here it is, Año Nuevos. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Año Nuevos. 
<laughs> it's along the coastline in California. It's amazing and beautiful, right? But in December, these seals start beaching. These big old elephant seals. Okay? So you think an elephant seal weighs about a female about 3,500 to 4,000 pounds. A male weighs about 5,500 pounds. And I'm, I lied myself into this one. I was like, dude, I know exactly where Annual Nuevos is. I'm like, oh my gosh, my family don't even like the beach. All right? <laughs> so here we are. We're literally, Saturday morning, I'm like super pumped. I'm thinking, this is going to be easy. I got the first trailhead. I'm taking these kids out. And we're walking along this trailhead. I completely missed the sign that says, do not enter. That's how excited I was. So here I am. I am leading these students down this trailhead. We get to this peak, okay? We get to this peak. And I tell you what, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be the first one here. We get over this peak, and there it is, about a hundred and something elephant seals. In the mix of that was my stupidity. Literally, I was stretching the truth and basically lying because I felt like I worked so hard in two years of getting my degree, having it under my belt. Like I felt like, you know, it's just a little, little lie. That's what it kind of, or a little promise, a little lie. It's, it's, it's going to be okay. And as I was sitting there that day and, and my honesty came to the forefront there's this huge elephant seal bull. It's the male, and we stumbled upon his harem. And the first thing he wanted to do was chase us out. Okay? So here I am with about half of these 60 middle school students. There's about 30 of them. And I'm at the top of this hill, and I'm running down this hill, pushing kids out of the way, into the dirt trying to save my own bacon alright you laugh but I wonder how many Christians do the same to new believers cause see what Jesus is talking about here are these blind guides putting laws before the almighty putting parameters around these sacred oaths and vows that was talked about in Deuteronomy. As we head back, you can follow me. Like I said, we don't have them on our amazing flat screen TVs. So we're going to go and kind of look at where this passage is kind of getting its meat from. We're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 through 23. These are the laws that Moses was given. Which Jesus is going to be talking to the scribes and Pharisees and the crowds and the disciples that we've seen in Matthew 23. So Deuteronomy 23 verse 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you should not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vow, vow, vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. 
You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the, voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. I love this piece of scripture on the law that Jesus is, is talking about and bringing to light in verse 16. It's this idea, the minute it passes your lips and you say it and confess it, you have to live by it. Whether you're a teacher, whether you're a fireman, a police officer, a doctor, a lawyer, your word is your bond. It's also this thought that I heard this morning that kind of really stuck with me was why is it sometimes we only make vows when we're actually telling the truth when everything outside of that we can just kind of let it just flap in the wind. And that's what's going on here. If we look at Matthew 23 verse 1, we're going to see the crowd who Jesus is speaking to. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples. So here it is, Jesus talking about these woes, these seven woes, and he's speaking about these truths. He's literally laying it out. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. And what was going on here was this idea of, they were saying the temple wasn't sacred, but what's inside the temple was. For anything to even get into the temple, that means it had to go through a sacrifice. There had to be a sacrifice given for that, that gift, that, that gold that was brought to the altar, brought to the temple. And these scribes and Pharisees, these teachers, these Christians who are teaching, maybe it's a false gospel, maybe their own gospel, what's comfortable to them. They're they're bringing these gifts and saying, the gift is what's important, not the altar that it sits on, or not the temple that it's laying in. And I think about us, how often we do that. I go back to here when I think about working at the Monterey Bay Aquarium and being in charge of these middle school students. And I'm that blind guide. I'm leading them on a path of destruction. The crazy thing is, it's death. Like, you get trampled by an elephant seal. But in, in the Christian world, as Christ followers, it's eternal life that we're going to trample. And that we're going to destroy. And that we're going to forsake. To me, I was, I was lost that day. I, I remember as I was running down the hill and I'm pushing these kids to the side. And when I was thinking about it earlier this week, as a student ministry pastor at LSC, like, have I done that with our students? Have I done that with, with people in my, my, my church family? Have I said something to you and I didn't follow through? Like, how damaging is that? Did I make a promise that I didn't come in through? Did I, I didn't follow through? Did I say something just because I wanted to please you? Because that's what's taking place here. These, these, these blind guides are trying to make it easier to forsake their, their oath or their vow. See, because if they have to really 
put it to the, off, the, the altar or the temple, that means you're making it to God. But see, I can say it to the, to the gold and, and to the gift, and it, it might not have as much sting on it. Jesus pronounced woe on the scribes and Pharisees for their corruption of the true religion God had given to the Jews in the law of Moses. In reality, they hijacked the ceremonial law and the civil law, which taught the people how to relate to God and their fellow man. This was me at the aquarium because I wanted something so bad I was willing to forsake the values that the aquarium had set just to achieve my own values and my own wants. This is the craziest thing. When I spoke to my supervisor about what happened when we came back, luckily no kids were hurt, okay? Let's just make that super clear. No kids were hurt, but my pride was. The funniest thing is I was brought into the office and had to file out this report, and Kim Swan was like, what, what, what happened? Like, you said you knew about Anya Nuevo, that you've been there many of times. And I was like, well... On the internet, I have. <laughs> and I remember sitting in our office, and I, and I, I really thought I was going to lose my job. And the craziest thing is, she's like, hey, we all make mistakes. I took a big breath and was like, wow. But I was still disappointed in myself. This is the same thing God is asking of us when we speak in our actions. He wants everything we do to be done in faith and purity of heart. Obedience to God's commands bring him glory. Just as Psalms 24, 4-5, He who has clean hands and pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Literally, I mean, how beautiful is this? We come with a changed heart That's what he's asking of us. A changed heart when we speak. When I I look at a brother in Christ and I say, I'm going to do this or I'm going to show up here, that I really am going to do it. That I'm not just saying it. It's not just a passing thing. I'm not saying something or or, or or promise something just to get out of a conversation. God wants our whole heart. The craziest thing as I was writing this sermon and I was, I was trying to really figure it out. You know, Facebook is a weird thing. Okay? And so for you people that are on Facebook, who knows what a Facebook is? Like, some, okay. Sort of, yeah. Sometimes I wonder when people post things on Facebook, and this is giving you a practical example. Okay, when people are posting things on Facebook that call themselves a Christian, that show up every Sunday, and they tithe really well, and they help and volunteer, and then they put something hateful and mean on Facebook. And you look at their friends that are on their friends list, and those friends that aren't Christians, that don't believe in this amazing Jesus, and they see that post... You just wrecked. You was a blind guide. That's something simple and practical. So this, these last couple of days of with everything that's been going on in our world, 
these people dying and getting gunned down. Officers not being able to go home to their family. Young African-American men getting shot in cold blood. And Christians post something online not understanding how huge you are putting a gap between people's faith off of a stroke of a keyboard behind your computer in your room locked away where you think no one else is going to see it but maybe someone who strolls upon your Facebook pages and sees something that you write as a Christian I thought they believed in Jesus I thought they didn't have hate I thought they had love I love, I love what Jesus is asking of us. That first woe, blind guides. But then he follows it up in verse 17, you blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? You got to remember, Jesus is our only sacrifice. It's finished. It's complete. It's done. He intercedes every day on our behalf. And so as we sit here today and we look at this, this idea of our word and, and our oaths and our vows and what we say, something as simple as Facebook message or, or a post or a share or a tag, how damaging that can be, or in your workplace or in our church body. I wonder how many relationships have been broken because you said something to someone that you were going to do or and you, and you didn't. And you didn't fall through. I know for me, I've said it and done it. And I'm still trying to repair relationships. Because I know I'm a sinner completely saved by grace. But the funny thing is, as a Christian, we also have a response when someone does do something to us. When we do feel outed. Our response could be one of two things. We could... Give grace to our brother, our sister, to repair that relationship. Or our response can be a hypocrite and turn away from him and, and, and not want to reconcile that relationship. This week when I was walking through this sermon and I'm sitting here and I'm listening to a man that I like, I fully listened to and he explained this. And I, I probably will mess it up because I'm not him. But it's this thought like Jesus, who was perfect in everything he did on this earth. He forgave us of our sin, past and present. He went to the cross. He took our sin on. He carried our burden. And he forgave us and allowed us to be in his family. He reconciled us with the Father. But how often when we get our feelings hurt off of something said, we can't forgive. In Matthew... In Matthew, Jesus talks about this thought... That if a, a brother or sister in Christ speaks about you or does something against you, 
that you go to them. And if they ask for forgiveness and, and the, you're supposed to show them grace and you've just won a brother back. And so I started thinking, like, what does that mean in light of what is being said here? And what I started coming up with was looking through Scripture and, and trying to see what Jesus is really hitting at. And I, and I really feel like he, he really points a picture in Matthew 15, verses 8 through 9. On how we're supposed to, to live this out. Chapter 15, 8 through 9. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines that com- the commandments of men. I go back to this job at the aquarium. I so wanted to be a people pleaser. I so wanted to earn the right of my bosses and supervisors that I was willing to, to just lie and sell myself short. See, I wasn't, I wasn't wanting to go into that job on my own merit and my own honor and my own respect and, and the hard work that I put into it. I was willing to bend the truth to fit into the world. And as Christians, we're not supposed to. We are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Which means I should have went into that job interview with integrity and honor, with no malice in my heart to want to lie and and bend the truth and and fix it to to fill my need. I should have went in there saying, Christ, what do you want from me right now? Is this where you want me? Because then he would open the door. To kind of share a thought on that, I go back to this year. This year I had an opportunity. The athletic director from Chelan High came to me and was like, Hey, Coach Chambers, I heard that you have some experience in wrestling. I looked at him and I was like, Jeff has no experience in wrestling. And he goes, our wrestling coach quit. What's your thought? Would you put your hat in the ring? And I was like, I'll put my hat in the ring, but Rainville, let me, let me tell you something. I've got an 0-10 record in wrestling. <laughs> Ten matches, zero wins. All losses. And they weren't beautiful losses. They were ugly. I have no experience. I was a punching bag as a coach for wrestling back in California. I was there because we had some big Otongan and Samoan boys, and they would just toss me around. I can't tell you what an arm bar is or a leg lock or any of that. And he goes, just, just apply. Just put your resume in. The craziest thing, I started praying about it. I don't think I've ever prayed for something so hard. Because what I was praying was, God, please do not hire me as a wrestling coach. <laughs> I was praying myself out of the job. But what I did say in this prayer was, God, I love these high school friends of mine. I so want to just walk alongside of them. I want to get to know their issues, their problems, their struggles. So, God, if this is a way to use me in ministry, then so be it. The craziest thing is, there is a coach that had over 25 years of experience who's won numerous state titles, and they hired me. With no experience, no state titles, and no wins. The funniest thing is, this is a redemptive story. This is God constantly working. The end of that year, we took some kids off to state, and I won coach of the year. 
I remember receiving that award, and I looked at Rainville, and I literally said, what were you guys thinking? <laughs> Coach of the year? Like, that's amazing. And as I started reading the response from coaches, this was a tough season. One of the OMAC coaches, his brother died and passed away, and OMAC was hosting this event. And I walked in, and I, and I sat down to that coach, and I said, hey, I'm not worried about the, the wrestling, the tournament. Can we start praying? Can, can we pray for your family? And, and like a, I, don't, I say like a dummy, I was like, did your brother know Christ? Do you? In one of the comments, this coach from OMAC who's been there, he says, I've never had a coach ask me if I knew Jesus. And it's just one of many comments, but that, that was the comment that stuck out to me. Through God opening a door of being a wrestling coach and being completely honest and truthful and telling him, I have no experience. He blesses me with this, this position. But he also tells me, this is your world now, so you've got to go out and be that Christ follower for these people. See, religion of any sort will not bring you eternal life. But eternal life is in Jesus Christ. Will produce a sincere religious practice that pleases God. And that practice is is following him completely. And that means with your words and with your actions. Religion is based on his truth, not ours that we want to make up. Faith in Jesus Christ creates a desire to share the truth with with others. And to be faithful to his truth. I challenge you guys this morning. We're going to do something a little different. Usually, you know, we we finish off a sermon with an application. And so my application this morning for you is John chapter 15 verses 1 through 4 we're going to look at John 15 as we finish this out this morning I love this thought Friday night I was sitting at home and I I literally was sitting there and I was asking God like if we walk through these woes and if I'm a Christ follower what would it look like and he brought me to John 15 1 through 4 I am the true vine And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither Can you, unless you abide in me? Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this morning.
As we respond to your message, as we think and we sit, Lord, we're going to open the doors as a church body to take communion. As it's passed and as we're receiving these elements, Lord, may we really think about the way we speak and our actions towards others. Are we those blind guides or are we the disciples that want to go out and disciple others to make Christ followers, not in our own image, but in the image of your amazing son? Lord, I just ask that you be with us this morning. And I ask that in your son's name. Amen. Um, at this time, man, there's a lot of firsts for me here. At this time, I'm going to ask the ushers to come up. We're going to get to take communion together. This is for the believers. If you have not trusted in Christ, and the Bible actually says taking this is bad for you, unhealthy. The way I'm going to do it this morning is I'm going to read the verses. I'll send out the ushers. They'll play the song. We'll worship, and then we'll take it together. We're passing both the bread and the wine all at the same time. First Corinthians, or, uh, First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, starting. But in the following instructions, I do not command you, but I, I, do, I do not command you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you, that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What do you, what do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God, humiliating those, humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I command you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord that I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. <laughs> 